We are not alternative anymore. It's a quickly evolving industry. And of course, amazing opportunities. We look at the industry and its topics. Things are changing very quickly. What is that market setup going to look like? It's very much about charging experience. Going to much more mature business. And, of course, new revenue streams. Those companies will either have to improve or they'll just die. This is the Electric Avenue Podcast. All right. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Electric Avenue podcast about the rapidly growing world of electric vehicle charging. I'm your host, Aaron Fishbone, Public Policy Director at Greenway, based in Bratislava, Slovakia. I'm really excited to be joined today by Ryan Fisher from Bloomberg New Energy Finance, which is one of the leading companies analyzing the electric vehicle industry. And they also just published their electric vehicle outlook for 2022, which is chock full of up-to-date insights on the state of the electric vehicle and EV charging industries. Now, while the report is global and it covers the whole industry, not just charging, uh, Ryan knows that the focus of this podcast is on EV charging ecosystem and also particularly focus on Europe. So uh, he'll make sure to emphasize that a little bit more. Ryan, welcome. Thanks for having us. It's, uh, it's nice to be here and uh, definitely give a chance to overview this report. Yeah, definitely. Ryan, before we dive right in, can you just let listeners know a little bit about yourself and what you do at Bloomberg? Yeah, sure. So Bloomberg is kind of this huge organization, but specifically I work for Bloomberg uh, NEF. So uh, we write research and provide data sets um, and outlooks basically across most things. Um, so specifically, I write um, largely on EVs and charging, and I've, I've been at BNF for around three years. Um, before that, um, I used to work at JLR and kind of seen from the inside, kind of them producing the iPACE and, and thinking about their strategies moving forward. Great. Well, that's a fantastic, then let's say, combination of perspectives to be able to bring to this work. And can you just let listeners know, you know, broadly about the whole report, what it is, what you all set out to do and what it encompasses? Yeah. So I kind of uh, love doing this exercise. We do it every year and the report is called EVO. So Electric Vehicle Outlook. Um, It's really covering how people travel, what modes of transport they use, where that leads us to in terms of vehicles, uh, whether that be uh, two or three wheelers or buses or trucks or vans or or obviously what we might talk about today, a bit more passenger vehicles. Um, And we do that across the globe. And then we look at impacts. So one of the key areas that I'm doing is really taking the forecast on vehicles or EVs and saying, well, how many charges and and how much electricity demand do we see from those? Okay. Uh, Well, then let's go right there. I was wondering if you could look back for a minute and I think this is your seventh edition of the report. I mean, how have you seen the EV charging ecosystem and the infrastructure deployment developing over the last few years? Yeah, so it's such an interesting space. And obviously things gain momentum in certain countries before others. If you look at uh, maybe Japan is a reasonable example that they kind of obviously had the the Nissan Leaf, one of the first EVs out there. They installed a lot of infrastructure and maybe they got a little bit caught up um, in the fact that then there weren't as many EVs as predicted and they didn't use those chargers. And then actually you, you've noticed the public charging numbers in the last few years dropping off on a net basis. And the appetite and stuff, people who or companies that maybe invested take a second look now and are saying, well, we actually got burned before. Are we, are we going to invest? Mm-hmm. Whereas some markets maybe catch it at the right time where the EVs are coming in and therefore you charge as well. So I said the US in some ways is similar-ish 
possibly to more similarish to Japan than it is Europe. And in Europe, you've, you've seen a range of incentives being kind of put out and really then being evolving uh, to make sure that the experience is good. So we've gone from a market where the hardware was new, as well as maybe these subsidies and incentives being a, a certain way that wasn't as advantageous as it is to those governments and municipalities, maybe now one being able to go to more companies, buy better hardware, but also learn from those past mistakes. Yeah, yeah, no, totally. One of the takeaways I got from the report and, and looking at previous reports as well is like, I mean, the market is so dynamic. There's lots of change happening and it's different stages of development and also different like kind of scale of vehicle in different countries. And so there's nothing static about it. And you really have to be looking at talking about, you know, one region or one country in one place at one time. And, you know, a year or two, it might be be totally different. There's a lot of different types of infrastructure deployed in different countries. So, for example, you know, in the Netherlands and Benelux, you have a lot more of the public AC market. And where I'm sitting in, you know, Central Eastern Europe, you see a lot more of the DC uh, fast chargers deployed that is in terms of publicly accessible infrastructure. And one, it's technologically driven. What was available in the market then? What did they choose to do from what's a public policy and land use perspective? Uh, and then also how much money did any entity have to invest? How do you see it like that? Yeah, so this, I suppose you could put it in more simplistic terms as well, just like, is it the slow chargers, is it the fast ones, where are we going to put them? Um, and you're right, there, there's certainly differences. We may be more positive on uh, faster charging. So physically, the faster chargers are able to distribute more kilowatt hours, and that's kind of the aim of the game. And, and at the moment, we're obviously trying to distribute more kilowatt hours, get more charging out there, and we're trying to do it quickly, right? Particularly in Europe, there's just so many EVs hitting the road. You could argue that the charging is kind of behind rather than ahead of that demand. And maybe one proof point that sometimes I, I talk about is Allego. So Allego, one of the biggest companies for public charging in Europe, somewhere in the ballpark of 20,000 to 30,000 public chargers. And the vast majority of those probably slow if you look to the percentage numbers. But as they've gone into uh, IPO stage, they're now talking about ultra fast charging. And that doesn't mean that the slow chargers aren't economically viable, but it certainly shows you where their priorities lay, either because they can make more money or because they believe they can distribute more kilowatt hours quickly. There certainly is quite a lot of government investment in both kind of fast and slow. So some countries really focused on how they can do this quickly and support those vehicles, which ultimately are what are keep propping up jobs and GDP and I suppose helping to get the ultimate aim, which is lowering emissions as well. For sure. But back to the the Allego example there. I mean, you're so you're saying that based upon where you see their their investments, which is now a lot of public information because they have IPO, they are publicly listed on the Nasdaq. You can see them moving their shifting their focus towards much higher or towards higher powered charging. They're largely saying, well, yeah, we'll, we'll actually put our money behind the ultra fast charging. One of the challenges for the slow chargers, and they could be perfect. Like on my street here, I park on the street. If somebody could put a charger just outside my house, great. But the reality is it becomes quite political to get a charger absolutely everywhere, might not mm. look great. And is the cost benefit there? So on some of our analysis, like it does look like slow chargers would be cheaper if you rolled out all of them. But if you actually did that in reality and said you need this many, like you need something like 16 times more of them to, to deliver the same amount of power as the fast ones, can you do that? Can you put in millions or hundreds of thousands of these things, depending on if you're looking at kind of a full region or a country? 
And we just think that's going to be challenging, particularly in the time frame. Yeah, I think that would be extremely difficult. I mean, from a land use perspective, certainly, I mean, there's a lot more construction work in, associated with that. But where are people charging? And that's one thing from where the operators want to invest their money or even the municipalities. But what about people or drivers? Do you see their charging habits revealing anything? Utilization is a metric that is, is kind of quite difficult to nail down. So what we're really seeing is like China is a bit ahead. Some of the utilization there, it can be quite high, uh, maybe 10, 15 percent. Um, Europe a little bit lower with some kind of nice uh, examples of highly utilized stations, uh, particularly kind of some of those in, in the urban areas. From a kilowatt hour basis, you're certainly seeing more delivered on a DC fast charger than the slow ones. But on an overall basis, the utilization kind of on the slows maybe needs to increase a little bit to be competitive. Do you think that will grow as there are more vehicles? I think it's growing. And, and again, it's regional. So if you look at some of the US ones, the growth is just not as impressive as the European ones. Do you see there's a tendency now to focus on you know higher powered chargers? No, I, I don't necessarily see it that way. Obviously, we've got a lot of investment in EV charging from a lot of spaces. So oil and gas, the Shells, the BPs mm. of this world uh, doing investments. I mean, it's interesting if you look at Shell, I think that they're probably more holistic in the supply chain than maybe BP. But you've also got other companies. So some of the startups uh, managing to now get investment from infrastructure investment firms, which point to yourselves, I think you, you've got investment from them. Mm-hmm. Um, as this becomes something that people go, well, actually, we can see it's it might be a bit tight in the near term, but we now believe that these EVs are going to exist for 15 years, 20 years. And really, I think the contracts and, and the timeframes are slightly moving. So these companies or in, infrastructure investors may be more familiar with really long-term contracts. And they're trying to really pin that down and, and put that within the charging infrastructure space as well. So what you're saying is you're seeing a lot more private investment into EV charging and the whole ecosystem around it, whether it's from you know big oil and gas companies that have their own resources they can invest, or whether it's from longer term institutional investors who can invest in existing operators, or whether it's for operators going public, you're seeing a lot more, you know, getting their money on the sort of the public markets, you're seeing a lot more investment flowing into the space. So does that mean then that there's less and less of a need for, for public investment? Because, you know, a lot of time people are saying, when you're talking about investment, they still think that it's going to be, you know, kind of public investment into these markets. Yeah. And on a global basis, you can't really get away from the conversation of people saying like, there's not enough utilization, which we very briefly just discussed a second ago. Mm. And therefore, like we need the money. But what you need is people who can invest in it for the long term. So underlying this is not everybody, I think, needs the public money, but the public money does a couple of things. And one of those is get the charges in the right place and maybe can help to guarantee some level of service. Um, but they also it aids speed. And you want to look at it as like, is it being wasted? Um, but the high level point is charging comes down to somewhere like, you know, in five to 10 billions kind of numbers. So can we move some of the subsidies, whether it be those fossil fuel ones, whether it be the subsidies and incentives that are being given to cars, can they be moved to get this charging infrastructure network done and out of the way quite quickly? And once I said, well, we wasted some, some public money, we could have got away without doing it. Would it have been as fast and really moved the, the deal so much? Difficult yeah, to say. And, and clearly there's problems with model availability at the moment. I mean, that's a great point, right? Like, so even though there's all of this private money flowing into an EV charging, I mean, it's a growing market, the number of EVs is booming. Nonetheless, there are maybe some places where targeted investment can can support, let's say, uh, places that would otherwise not get it as much from the private market or not get it fast enough. And since we do have the climate imperative, since we are trying to reach 2030 targets, 2050 net zero targets, invest subsidizing fossil fuel industries 
to the tune of 200 billion in just one country versus five to 10 billion for e-mobility, that money could be far better spent and far more balanced to help us achieve those targets much more quickly. That's the broader point. The incentives that we talk about, you don't have to think about them in the same way either. So one of the points right. that I'm kind of looking at at the moment is grid infrastructure upgrades. Perfect segue. Yeah, and I, like I was at Euroelectric the other week, and they're on stage, and everybody's all about permitting. We've seen that in the Repower EU plan uh, to go on Russia. And permitting, how do we actually achieve some of these targets that we've set when it's just taking years and years to get anything off the ground? And I think for charging, that will be similar. There's maybe this commercial EVs being more of a conversation now. We're moving from a market where, you know, I mean, there's minimal. We're talking hundreds or low thousands of commercial EVs in Europe. But really, again, we want to aim for bigger, like trucks on their own and 19% of road emissions. You add vans in there, obviously, you're getting even higher. So that's a sector that we want to go for. But if you're a fleet manager and suddenly you're kind of adding it up and there's another million added to your bill because you need a new substation or something it might be challenging so i think cleaning up and clearing up where you need to invest if you want the charging infrastructure and whether there's a method to do so would be helpful i think it's still quite gray yeah i certainly agree i mean certainly we see that from our own perspective as a as an operator here in uh you know slovakia and poland and i know from our work with colleagues across europe that this issue of permitting and the amount of time it takes to get it from a grid you know connection request all the way to establishing that connection uh can be you know anywhere from a few weeks to a few years even and that this is probably across the industry the single biggest bottleneck we face to, to scaling rapidly across europe not just anyone country. So this is a huge issue, certainly a priority for the industry association charge up Europe to take on. And, and you know, we we Greenway have often said that, you know, maybe the most important support we could get from government, you know, is non-financial, is just addressing some of these permitting issues. But so just to close this question of this topic of, uh, of grid connections, did you all make any recommendations or anything about how this could be done based upon what you've seen or the problems you've heard as you look across across industry? We make this point that one, there's certainly a focus on uh, investing either ahead of time or being able to rate base some of those grid infrastructure upgrades otherwise you end up with an unfair scenario we highlight that as the main point where do you see the state of smart charging today and where do you see it going in the in the future what role will it play yeah so i think it's got a big role it will be interesting to see whether just time of use rates from the utility become dominant and therefore you, you don't need so much kind of management in the back end and some of these companies who are maybe trying to make a lot of money in it. But from a base point of view, you plug in and somebody else is slightly taking control of when that charge takes place so that you don't end up with a huge peak when everybody gets home from work at five in the evening. And that's what we're defining as smart charging, right? This ability to sort of modulate the amount of electricity flowing in based upon some kind of signal. Yeah, exactly. And there's always a fight for the consumer. Who owns the consumer? Who defines the signal and transfers it? So some of the vehicles, right, you can program it through the vehicle and they might have an app for it. You buy a wall box or a charger and they also have an app for it. Then you've got third parties and you've got your utilities and they have an app for it. So there's this kind of uh, ecosystem and it's not quite decided who's going to own it all. And I think that's quite interesting to, to watch out for. But from a pure does it work perspective, I think the answer is yes. We did a study with a company called EV Energy and people really they're charging for somewhere between two and three hours on average every two to three days. And if you're plugging in when you get home from work at six and you're unplugging at eight in the morning, you can move that. That principle, I think, is widely understood that there's a lot of flexibility there should it be needed. Some of the more advanced things or the things that probably other markets will start thinking about is a buffer of, of when you switch the charge. Because mm -hmm. 
if everybody is saying, yeah, I'll smart charge, and then they all turn on at one in the morning, then you just make that the new peak. So they've got this kind of randomization factor in there um, as well to try and help out. I heard a great presentation from Octopus Energy. They were quite uh, quite optimistic about getting customers to, you know, kind of modulate the time, uh, being willing to sell that flexibility to Octopus to then, you kind of, they could aggregate it and then sell it back to the grid. Um, and then maybe even do some bi-directional charging in there as the next step. Yeah, and the, the bi-directional one is interesting. We did a, okay. a study saying, like, how much money can you make from bi-directional? And we did focus that more on the UK, but we have this model where you can basically um, input the hours that your vehicles are available for, uh, what type of bi-directional charger do they have and, and how much driving are they doing? And, and it'll then figure out like uh, how much money is being made in the energy markets, uh, whether that be arbitrage or frequency response, and you can change some of the parameters. So we did a study on that to figure out where this is going. And we used Octopus Energy. They have this um, both flexible import tariff, but they also mm -hmm. have a flexible export tariff. So we use those within the model to kind of go with. And I think maybe these time of use export tariffs will be one of the next things that come along. And does that mean, sorry, where someone is dispensing energy back to the grid from their vehicle? Is that what that means? Time of use export tariff? So at the moment, let's say you've got solar on your house. When the sun shines, the sun is shining for everybody who's got solar and suddenly yeah. the grid will pay you a very limited amount. So the mm -hmm. export tariffs at the moment are all fixed. So with, a, with the vehicle, what you can do is obviously store that uh, solar in your battery and then when it gets to five o'clock in the evening when they actually need energy they will pay you more so the vehicle the battery in the vehicle is serving as auxiliary storage at that point exactly that yes it's really interesting to hear these things are happening i know there's some pilots going on in europe as well with uh, some companies these are all ways to reduce impact on the grid and they're ultimately reduce some costs that might otherwise need to be invested into the grid beyond regular upgrades and stuff so that, you know, kind of the, the overall impact of, of millions and millions more electric vehicles recharging or not just EVs, but other appliances as well. Uh, ultimately, the impact isn't so isn't so hard. Yeah. So in this, we did something called thematic highlights. So we looked at things like hydrogen uh, trucks versus battery electric trucks. And one of the areas I looked at was uh, bi-directional charging. And we do another big report called the New Energy Outlook. The basic premise of that one is like, how much demand is there going to be for electricity and what generation is there going to be? And how much are these generating assets going to cost and what price are they kind of going to be paid? Like, So there's this huge model and there's a guy on our team called Ian who's brilliant and, and kind of designs that. So what we did was we said, all right, what if V2G existed and what if it existed at scale? What does this do to the system? Um, and kind of played that through really. And you can you can have some really big effects, I suppose, one of the output. So this is a huge amount of storage, like beyond anything that we've ever had. And that means both in terms of the like energy capacity, but also the power. And that means that you, you can basically suck in loads of these renewables and then output them when, say, the wind doesn't blow and you would have otherwise done gas generation. So you can get rid of CO2, you can get rid of the costs for the fuel um, that you would have bought, you can get rid of some carbon costs, these kind of things. But when you get to the end of it, the difficulty is associating those costs into a business model that incentivizes consumers. So whilst it sounds good, the reality is you have to get a bi-directional charger and you have to have some connection. And at the moment, these things can be five, ten thousand dollars um, to buy. So we're hoping those costs will come down um, and that'll make it more viable. But the, the output really was like somewhere between like five and 15 percent seems more viable than somewhere like 25 to 50 percent of people kind of doing this. And for I mean, a comparable impact, you're saying, too. Yeah, still a big impact. So in the 12.5% scenario, we were reducing CO2 emissions by 10%, I think. We were saving, I think, somewhere like 4% of costs. And when you, like 4% of costs doesn't sound a lot, but we're, we're talking like 30 billion or something like that. Real money, someone say. It's not just pocket change, yeah. 
Well, there's a great example of how some of that money, those subsidies towards fossil-based industries could uh, really be used in order to help decarbonize, uh, lower the cost of some of those appliances for consumers. I know I was uh, I was looking at some electric cook stove for my, when I replaced mine at some point, and it was like four times as much as a gas-powered stove. And uh, really confronted with that personal decision, it's tough if you can even find the supply available where you need it. We've covered a lot of topics uh, in brief, but I guess, uh, you know, one of the main takeaways from both that the report and this conversation for me is that this is just a really dynamic market to be in right now, right? Like number of EVs is booming despite, you know, kind of the uh, the external problems we're experiencing, you know, the supply chain, COVID, Russian invasion of Ukraine. There's also a lot of drivers and there's a lot of different business models at play. There's a lot of experiments trying to figure out how to monetize them, where the revenue is going to come from, how different industries are going to enter the space and what their role the value chain is going to be. And it's all just happening really quickly. And right now, is that how you feel? Uh, I, I feel it's going fast. And it, it like one thing that I always try and think about is the real context of like what is happening versus what are we kind of reading and getting really hyped about? Yeah, yeah. Um, like I did something on um, trucks the other day. We were kind of saying multi megawatt charging is coming and we've seen seen that. So another kind of proof point that things are changing. Yeah, they just rolled out the megawatt standard like two weeks ago, right? Yeah, exactly. And you probably know a bit more about that than I do. But it looks like commercial availability really 2024 and maybe some pilots in the next 24 months as well. So that's a change. That looks like, well, we're going to see a lot of battery electric trucks. But again, if you look at the reality, we're really somewhere like 150,000 trucks sold by Volvo uh, last year and in the hundreds to low thousands of them being battery. So we're very much at the beginning stages, and that means it doesn't necessarily mean it's not going to happen, but it just means that there's still a ways to go. Vehicle availability, getting this charging available. Perhaps, that, like, if you think about the heavy-duty trucks, it leaves more of a gap for hydrogen than some of the other spaces, mm-hmm. because can you get the big levels of power needed to the right locations quick enough and within the kind of an economical way? Whereas with the hydrogen, maybe they can do a certain number of stops and put them in the right locations, whereas you might not be able to get the, the power and everything up. So I, I'm not Mr. Hydrogen. Certainly we're, we're, we're saying a small amount of vehicles will be there, but there's still a gap, I, I'd suppose. Uh, at the moment, certainly battery electric is the front runner. Yeah, I mean, I think heavy duty uh, vehicles and megawatt charging are some of the bigger things that we're looking at for the upcoming few years. I mean, you know, in the European Alternative Fuels Infrastructure Regulation, there's a big push on installing, you know, high-powered charging for heavy-duty vehicles uh, along the, you know, kind of the major corridors in Europe. And so how are we going to supply that electricity? Are the vehicles coming? You know, how much time will it take to get a high-voltage connection from the DSO and extend the grids out to those locations and build out those locations um, are all really, really big topics that are emerging right to the fore. And, you know, and it's going to be through required by public policy if we, you know, in the, based upon the current language of the AFIR proposals. And so it's a, it's a very real topic. And then you look at, you know, the vehicle OEMs, whether it's, you know, Volvo, whether it's Scania, Mon, Daimler, you want to see the vehicle numbers grow as well. And But there's really an interplay when you look at the long distance heavy duty vehicles. It's a really, really interesting open question. And I mean, definitely see the future being electric there, but wondering, you know, how quickly is that going to happen? Yeah. And we, I suppose, would like to to see a world where everything goes zero emissions and, and therefore hedging your bets a little bit on hydrogen as well as as electric is probably not too bad, which is what's in that fear really. So they're quite heavily saying we'll put in infrastructure for heavy duty vehicles that's electric, but we'll have some 
some form of hydrogen and as hydrogen, well. And maybe yeah. that's not the worst. And there, there yeah. is a statistic that comes to mind about amount of money the European Union or, or uh, Tensi had put in for hydrogen infrastructure versus electric. And on a per vehicle basis, I think it was order of magnitude, something like $10 per vehicle for electric and something like 30000 or $60,000 gone into hydrogen infrastructure per vehicle that had hit the road. So we they have arguably wasted a lot of money on hydrogen already. Well, there's nothing like throwing good money after bad. <laughs> but we'll, uh, we'll keep watching the report, and obviously we'll keep seeing uh, how the conditions on the ground develop as well. What about supply chain issues? Uh, look, I mean, there's been a lot of news about them um, on, on any number of different, different elements, so raw materials, also uh, motherboards and whatnot. And how do you all assess that situation? First of all, like semiconductor problem is one of the reasons, like it's not the only one, but that has affected the car sales. And from a pure high level basis, it's like cars are not the biggest proportion of where semiconductors go. Like you've also got other places. So it's like, where, where do you exist on the negotiating field when you're trying to get a hold of something that's in scarcity? And EV chargers are probably an even further step down. And what we're hearing is like some of the companies have, have found it a little bit hard to get products and produce what they wanted to. So then from a consumer's perspective, taking a little bit longer to get what you, you'd originally ordered. Um, mm-hmm. But it doesn't seem like it's it's absolute chaos out there for sure, but I think there's been a bit of strain. Um, when I go out, like I was fortunate enough that there's a company called Hypervolt. They have a factory, they're quite a small startup in the UK making home chargers. And that was quite eye-opening really to go out and look at their, their factory and, and what they were doing because everything is still quite manual. Like they're a startup and I'm not saying they reflect every company, but it does make you think like the real numbers that are coming out of some of these companies at the moment in terms of the amount of charges being produced is quite small compared to what there will be in future. So scaling up is kind of the next phase and that should hopefully come with benefits and economies of scales and changing from basically doing things maybe more manually to more automated and that will probably reduce some of these costs as well. At the moment, we're saying there's somewhere like a million private chargers going out there, a million to, to 1.2 million private chargers going out in, in the last year. And then by 2025, that's more like 5 million. So things have got to scale, things have got to move. And that's the same for public chargers. Um, and the smaller bookend of that is the DC fast ones. So when you think about China, hundreds of thousands, but in Europe, we're really in the 5,000, 10,000 number. And you compare that with producing millions of vehicles and and millions of even the home chargers or private chargers, like I just said, that industry has got a little bit to go. And one interesting one that I look at is both the price of the Chinese hardware, which is much less than what we see elsewhere, but it's also um, what Tesla have managed to do. So they don't, in their filings, say how much their superchargers cost anymore, but they used to. And back, I don't know when it was, say, 2017, 2016, it looked like they they were installing stations, maybe a supercharger station for about 50,000. That's installed. So their hardware must have been like 30. So that gives you an idea of like companies who are doing things at scale and have, have maybe got a little bit more less margin in there because they're going to charge margins themselves, what they can do as well. Okay, so I mean, this leads me to one, let's say one or two concluding questions. I mean, there's this big debate out there. Is there enough charging to support the vehicle fleet that's coming? And if we just look at Europe, for example, you know, now there's a 2035 phase out of new sale of combustion engine vehicles coming. And you know, it's kind of a constant debate. Will there be enough charging? People right now, maybe it's not yet a mainstream topic or mainstream enough. So many people are asking, where will I charge my car? How do you see the interplay 
happening here. So in a perfect world, right, the cars are produced and there's exactly the right amount of charges needed at all time. Uh, they have ideal utilization, no company ever goes bust, and all of the charges are fine. But I, I think the reality is there's probably, there has already been overexpenditure, and I think there's natural evolution in some locations will be wrong, some hardware will be wrong, and some companies will install stuff that doesn't get used. So we're kind of seeing, like, yes, there needs to be more there seems to be an appetite to invest and people really trying. One of the blockers we obviously discussed was just actually physically being able to put them in quick enough. So yeah, there could be more today. But yeah, right now the game is is getting the chargers out there maybe slightly ahead of time. On a high trend, we're, we're somewhere closer to like 1.5, 2 kilowatt per EV, going down to more like 1, 1.5 over time um, mm -hmm. for the whole of Europe. But that, that's an average too, right? I mean, we're talking that, you know, in markets where there's underdevelopment now, we would encourage there to be more charging installed earlier to sort of overcome those concerns consumers have about where to charge, right? And also to sort of stimulate the automotive market. Are there any sort of final trends out there that you particularly encourage people to look at or really any particularly noteworthy things we haven't touched on yet? Um, two of the things is like technology is changing and business models will continue to change. So the, like energy, they'll just be like these public charging companies will consume so much electricity. They will be some of the biggest consuming companies. So can they manage to quash the price of electricity? Yeah, I sorry, I think you said that like one of the largest Chinese operators is like one of the largest energy consumers in the world in your report. Yeah, so there's a functional terminal where you can see what people report, how much electricity they've used. It's published uh, Tigood, which is the largest Chinese one. And they appear somewhere like 150th on the list. Um, and that's just now. So you can imagine that they're heading up to the top of the list. Yeah. Maybe there's PPAs, maybe there's there's other things going on in the market. Um, and then there's this like cross-pollination with, with retail. So you already see and some people offering subscriptions to charging. How does that kind of advance? Does Tesco or your local supermarket do it? Does Amazon do it with Prime? Um, so I, I think there's, there's a lot more to go on that side of things. I think there's more to go on both fast charging and maybe wireless charging as well. So we highlight that as kind of some of the trends. I'd say there's a lot of pressure put on the charging for what is a relatively young industry, given the climate imperative, given the you know combustion engine phase out, given where things are going in the market. There's a lot of emphasis being put on the on the need to charge your EVs reliably throughout all of Europe and uh, you know hopefully much more of the world. Hundred percent, and yeah. um, look forward to keep tracking this incredibly complicated market. <laughs> <laughs> Indeed. Look forward to keep talking with you about it, Ryan. It's really great. And the work that, uh, you know, BNEF is doing is really critical. So thanks very much for taking the time and for uh, authoring the report. Yeah, thanks so much. I hope you all are listening and hearing this podcast out while you're on your summer holiday somewhere, hopefully driving an electric vehicle. It's probably a lot cheaper to be driving and recharging your EV than it is to be buying gasoline or diesel at uh, over two euros a liter in many places right now. And um, with that, I just want to thank Ryan again for his time. Dear listeners, wishing you a very happy rest of your summer holiday, relaxing, being able to enjoy it and uh, you know, keeping your eyes on the EV and the EV charging market. I want to thank Ryan again for his time. I want to thank our producer, Katarina urban Richterova for making this episode sound so good and hopefully clearing up all the ums and uh, laughter you might hear from Ryan and I periodically throughout. And I uh, just want to wish you all a very happy and safe summer and many happy and safe electric kilometers. Bye now. 
Uh, brilliant pronunciation and, of the name, by the way. <laughs> which name? So many of them. <laughs> All of them. It was it was a work of art. I think the way that came out. This is a summer. This is a summer episode. So forgive us, listeners, for a little bit of uh, you know being all over the place.